Well, good morning. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be here with you today. I want to share with you some of the worst prophecies of all time. In 1899, the head of the U.S. Patent Office said, and I quote, everything that can be invented has been invented. (laughs) Daryl Zanuck, who made major motion pictures, said this about television when it was introduced to the masses. He said, television won't be able to hold on to any market. People will soon get tired of staring at a box every night. A memo at Western Union in 1878 stated, This telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered a means of communication. The New York Times in 1936 published, A rocket will never be able to leave the Earth's atmosphere. In 1948, computer scientist John von Neumann said, It would appear that we have reached the limits of what is possible to achieve with computer technology. 1948. And in 1995, Sir Alan Sugar, a British billionaire businessman, said, the iPod will be dead, finished, gone, kaput by next Christmas. It's gone on to sell 350 million units. Terrible, wrong predictions, wrong prophecies. I'm not even going to get into how many times people have predicted the world was going to end in 1900, 1946, 2000, 2010, 2015. They're just as silly. And I'm so thankful that we have a book that contains prophecy and we can rely on its accuracy and its faithfulness. And so if you have a Bible with you today, we're going to open it to Daniel chapter 8. If you have a Bible with you, if you open to the center, you're probably going to hit the Psalms. Go a couple books to the right, get to Ezekiel and Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have black Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. Daniel chapter 8 can be found on page 620 of those Bibles. I I do this every time I I teach, but I highly encourage you to have a Bible on your lap while we read through this chapter. I'm going to read major blocks of Scripture, and they're downright weird. So to follow along about a ram and a shaggy goat and horns, it will probably be really helpful to have a Bible open, so you can follow along and write in it and circle what you want. So as you're getting there, just to bring you up to speed, we're in a study on the book of Daniel. And if you remember, the first six chapters were narrative. They were stories. And there were some amazing stories in there of how Daniel and his friends were faithful to God no matter what happened to them. And now we've moved into the second half of the book, which is considered prophecy. And and so Lee began the prophetic section of the book last week in chapter 7, and he helped us see that regardless of the prophecy, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. And he said these words. It's the first line on your notes if you're following along. Lee said, don't miss the main point by getting stuck on little details. Don't miss the main point by getting stuck on details. And here's the main point. I'll, I'll just give it away. God is in control no matter what. He's in control. That's the main point. And so to help us better understand this genre of literature over the next several weeks, there are some principles that I've learned that 
I think can help us as we read this scripture. If you're following in your notes, most prophecies predict great trouble. Most of them predict great trouble followed by God's deliverance. All the visions have the same meaning. God is sovereign and he's in control over all things. There's going to be hard times. He's in control. Which leads to the great news, if you're following in your notes, another principle. Prophecy is given to provide hope and confidence that God is in control. Hope and confidence that no matter what we're facing, no matter how confusing it gets, God is in control, he will rescue us, and he will deliver us. I want to flip a paradigm for you as we get going, okay? I think some of us read prophecy and it scares us to death. I mean, we read Daniel, we read Ezekiel, we read Revelation. It scares us to death, but it doesn't have to be scary. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you, the next time you read prophecy, read it with the end in mind. Here's how it ends. God wins. God wins. There's nothing to be afraid of. You can have hope and confidence, and that's why we're given prophecy. Prophecy is not given for us to figure out specific dates or specific countries. If you're following in your notes, rather than predicting the future, it helps us live faithfully now. I don't think we're given images of bears and lions and goats to say, well, that's Russia, or, well, the bear's on the flag of California, so that must be the bear. Or, you know, Springfield City Council has 10 people on it. That's the 10 horns. Just The language is highly symbolic. If you're following your notes, the language is highly symbolic. So we need to be careful about wild speculation. We need to be careful. Unless God specifically gives us an interpretation of prophecy, or the prophecy has been fulfilled in the past, and we can identify what the images mean, then we need to be careful. The wrong way to read this part of Scripture is to have a Bible in this hand and the current newspaper in this hand. And say, well, this is going on. That's what that meant. That, I just think that's the wrong way to read it. And so the final thing we need to know is there are different types of prophecy. Some prophecy has dual fulfillment. It has been fulfilled in the past in part, but there's still a remaining future fulfillment. There is some prophecy concerning the end of the world, which is totally unfulfilled, but will be fulfilled. And then there's prophecy that has been totally fulfilled. And that's what we have in chapter 8. If you're following in your notes, chapter 8 is historic prophecy. It's historic prophecy. And what I mean by that is that I believe everything in chapter 8 that we're going to look at today has been fulfilled in history. I think it points to future that there will be nations and there will be kingdoms and there will be kings and there will be evil people that rise up. But what we're going to see in chapter 8, it's, it's been fulfilled. What was prophecy to Daniel is history to us. So let's take a look at what this vision held. And so I'm going to encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. I'm going to read Daniel 8 verses 1 to 14. Major block of scripture, but you can follow along in your Bibles and and. Put yourself in the story. So verse 1. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. So 
chapter 7, Lee's vision was two and a half years ago. This is another vision. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa, in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns, standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it, and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at it in a rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked the ram to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. Out of them came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east and to the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord, It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord, and his sanctuary was thrown down. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. He said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. Okay then. (laughs) Is it any wonder why in verse 27... After this incident, it says, Daniel was worn out, and I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond my understanding. I mean, if we put ourselves in this story, we're Daniel. We've been given this vision. There's a ram and a shaggy goat and horns, and this is crazy. This makes no sense. But remember, this is historic prophecy, What was prophecy to Daniel is history for us. For Daniel, this wasn't going to play out for 350 years. But we can look back in history and say, this is what that meant. And I'm so thankful God gave us an interpretation, beginning in verse 15, because we're able to do some of this. So we're going to spend some time on the interpretation of the vision. It's fascinating. The Bible's amazing that it predicted and prophesied these events over 300 years earlier. And all of them happened. And so we're going to read this together, and I'll stop and make some comments that will hopefully help us understand the vision. I'll begin in verse 15 if you're following along, and then I'll invite you to read the first gray box on your notes. Verse 15 says, While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Ulai calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell to my knees. Would you read this with me in the first gray box on your notes? Son of man, he said to me, 
understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. He said, I am going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. In verse 17, we see the words, time of the end. In verse 19, we're going to see the words, later in the time of wrath. In verse 23, we see the latter end. And in verse 26, we're going to see many days from now. And and I think sometimes we read this and we see all those allusions to the last days. And we think, well, that's the end of the world. The second coming of Christ. And in this vision, I think the context will show that the phrase, if you're following in your notes, time of the end does not mean the end of the world. It does not mean the end of the world, but something else. The last days is used quite a bit in Scripture. Just one example where it doesn't mean the end of the world is Peter on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is given in Jerusalem in the first century. He quotes the prophet Joel, and in chapter 2, verse 28, he said, In the last days I will pour out my Spirit on all people. That's not referring to the Holy Spirit being given at the end of the world. That was the day of Pentecost in the first century. In fact, anytime you read last days in the Bible, I think a helpful interpretation of that is that it can mean any time between when Jesus left this earth the first time and he's coming back a second time. We're living in the last days. There will be the end of days and there will be an end of the world when Jesus does come back, but let's not put the last days always meaning the end of the world. And in this context, it it certainly doesn't. So in verse 20, if you're following along in your Bible, we're going to start seeing what this vision means. Verse 20, the two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. Remember, we, we had a ram with two horns, and one horn is bigger than the other horn. If you're following in your notes, the ram is the Media Persian Empire. It's the Media Persian Empire. Babylon's now in the past. The bear from last week is dead. It, it has been killed. And if you remember in chapter 5, Babylon was defeated by the Medo-Persian army. And there are two horns, and out of the two horns, one kingdom is more powerful than the other. And we know from history, this is the Persian Empire. It's more powerful than the Empire of Media. In verse 21, we continue. He gives us the interpretation. It says, verse 21, The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between its eyes is the first king. If you're following in your notes, the shaggy goat is Greece, and the horn is Alexander the Great. Remember the vision. The ram is defeated by a shaggy goat who conquers the world so swiftly that it's like his feet never touch the ground. And the shaggy goat defeated the ram and trampled on it. From history, we know that Alexander the Great was the first great king of Greece who conquered the world from Italy to India And then just as quickly as he came to power, he died at the age of 33. And in the vision, the one horn was broken off and four horns appeared, smaller. And we see in verse 22, if you're following in your Bibles, the four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation but will not have the same power. We also know from history that no one ruler followed Alexander, but his kingdom was divided into four kingdoms or four horns. If you're following in your notes, the four horns are the kingdoms of Seleucid, Ptolemy, Lysimachus, and Cassander. 
You may have heard of the Ptolemies or Seleucids before, but four kingdoms, not as great in power as Alexander. And then the vision skips over about 200 years, and we read in verses 23 to 26, if you're following in your Bibles, it says this, In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given you is true, but seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. So sure, it's going to point us to the future that there's more kingdoms and more antichrists to come, which are people opposed to Christ. But we know with almost certainty that in this prophecy, if you're following in your notes, the small horn that grows in strength is Antiochus Epiphanes IV. It's Antiochus Epiphanes IV. He ruled from the Seleucid kingdom, one of the four horns, from 175 until his death in 164. History documents that this prophecy was fulfilled in many ways, and I listed those in some really small print underneath the the main line. But just to run through several of those with you, because the Bible is amazing and so accurate. In verse 9, he started small but grew in power. He wasn't first in line to the throne, but he usurped it from his nephew. Verse 9, he grew in power to the south, which is Egypt, to the east, Syria, and to the beautiful land, which was Israel. Now, for these four kingdoms, Israel had been kind of hands off. We're not touching Israel. And Antiochus came along and said, I'm going to Israel, and I'm going to put Greek culture in Jerusalem. So he went after it. Verse 10, he set himself up against God. His name was actually Antiochus IV. He added epiphanies to his name, which means God manifest. I'm God and published it on all the money that he had printed. I mean, the pride and arrogance of a ruler who says, I'm going to add the word epiphanies, God manifests to my name. Set himself up against God. Eleven, it took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord, and his sanctuary was thrown down. This is an important one. In 167 B.C., Antiochus gave orders to force the Jews to worship pagan gods in the temple, He put a stop to the regular sacrifices. Like, they stopped. Every day people would have to go to the temple and sacrifice an animal, and they no longer could. It was over. He even put a statue of Zeus in the temple and slaughtered a pig on the altar to desecrate it. He made the Jews that remained in Jerusalem forsake their God and their faith or suffer persecution. Horrible time in Jewish history. And so if you jump back to verse 13 for just a minute, that's the last little note that I gave you. It gives us a glimpse of a conversation in heaven between two holy ones or angels. And this concludes the prophecy. It says, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation. Sacrificing a pig on the altar is also known as the desolation of abomination. The abomination of desolation. The surrender of the sanctuary and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. He said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. 
So God prophesied that this would last for 2,300 evenings and mornings, which can mean one of two things. It's either going to last 2,300 days, which is about six years, or it's going to last 1,150 days, which is about three years, because there were two sacrifices a day, morning and evening. So here's the main point. Regardless of the actual length of this suffering and the stopping of the sacrifices, the main point is that there would be an end. It would come to an end. It wasn't going to last. But I do find this fascinating, that the sacrifices at the temple stopped in 168 B.C., and after the Maccabean revolt, they began again in 165 B.C., approximately three years after after the temple was closed, it was reopened, about 1,150 days. I just find that fascinating. And remember, all of this was prophesied 350 years before it happened. The the Bible's amazing. It's amazing. And so for Daniel, this was prophecy, but for us, it's history. And so I began to wonder, like, why would we be given a chapter in the Bible where all these prophecies have been fulfilled? A history lesson. And it's interesting that in chapter 7, which Lee taught last week, and in chapter 9 to 12 that we'll look at in future weeks, they all have a future element to them. They do all point to the future. But chapter 8, this small little chapter tucked in there, has all been fulfilled. And I think we're given chapter 8 for two reasons. One, for Daniel and God's people, the next 350 years were going to be filled with tough times. They didn't know how long it would last. They didn't know what tomorrow would hold. All they knew at the moment is that the plans they had made for their lives were not playing out like they had thought they would. And perhaps they used words like, God, what's going on here? How much more of this do we need to take? How long? I am sick of this. I mean, can you relate to that? And I think we're given chapter 8 to remind us, if you're following in your notes, number one, we're given this chapter because like Daniel, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. And it means that we can expect seasons of trials and difficulties and sufferings before our ultimate deliverance comes. But there will be an end. There is a day coming when we will make it home and there will be no more suffering and no more tears and no more sin. We don't know when that will be. We just know it's coming and we know we're not home yet. And the second reason that we're given chapter 8 is because until we're home, until we're home, we're given chapter 8, number 2 on your notes, so we can have hope and confidence in God's faithfulness to his word. So we can have hope and confidence in God's faithfulness to his word. Everything God said came true. God keeps his word and he keeps his promises even when they don't make sense to us and even when it doesn't look like what we expected them to mean. He keeps his promises. His past performance gives us hope and confidence in his future faithfulness. We're given Daniel 8 for those days when we say, how long, God? How much more, God? We can remember that we're not home yet and that God is faithful to his word. And that gives us great hope.
And so for the the next few minutes, I wanted to give you the opportunity to hear from several people who are living Daniel 8 right now. The, The plans they had for their lives are not the plans they're currently living. And they're examples of how the road is not easy and it's sometimes lined with suffering. But they're not home yet, but they cling to this confidence of God and his word even when it doesn't make sense. And we don't do this often, but one of the reasons we do it is because we want you to hear multiple voices. Because it's one thing for a pastor to stand up here and say, have confidence in God's word, it gives us hope. But but like we're going to bring out real people. And we can see, yeah, you'll get that in just a minute. Um, (laughs) We're going to see that this is possible for those who follow Jesus, even though it's really hard. And so I'm going to invite Megan and Anna and Mike to come out for just a a few minutes to, to share with us. So I'll start with you, Megan, and let me introduce your family to our, our church. Um, it's a picture of you and Madison, who's going into kindergarten this fall, and, and little Joel. And um, first of all, just thank you all for coming out here and being real and transparent and sharing that. I think you would all want me to say this, that even though we're going to talk about some ways that God has provided and shown off and the way, ways that he has, has made himself very real to you, there are still some days where you don't feel anything where you don't see him, and you have doubts. So we just, I, I know you'd want everybody to know, hey, we don't have this all figured out. But, but Megan, let me start with you. Um, it's just an unbelievable story of how you've clung to God and his faithfulness in, in Daniel 8 living. Um, the past two years have been unbelievably hard. Up until 2012, life was actually pretty good. I mean, you had been married for uh, five years. You just moved to a new house in Rochester um, with your husband, and Madison was three years old. And then 2013 came, and everything changed. And so in, in March of 2013, you lost your job because the position was eliminated from the company. In May, your husband let you know that he was no longer happy being married. In June, the You had tried to get pregnant for over a year for little Joel. And once you found out you're pregnant, your husband decided he didn't want to be married anymore. And he decided to move out. And Joel was born in January of 2014. And we've talked about, I mean, how you went to the hospital by yourself and named him by yourself and have raised him by yourself. And um, when we talked, you went back to a verse several times that has been comforting to you, but also seemed like it was preparing you for this time, even though you thought it may have meant something different back when God gave it to you. Can you tell me why that verse has been so important? Um, the verse is Exodus fourteen thirteen and 14. And um, before this even started, it was hanging above my bed and I didn't understand the meaning of it. Um, but it's the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Um, as 
as this went and I fought against everything that was happening and tried to do everything that I could to control it and stop it from happening, I finally got to the point where I stopped wrestling and was at the end of myself. And over and over and over, I just got this this scripture and similar scriptures in sometimes multiple times a day. And the more that I let go and was still, the more God had room to show up in our lives in ways that weren't necessarily what I would have chosen, but in hindsight are amazing. Um, He knew things that I needed that I didn't, and giving him that room to work allowed him. Let me ask you, when when we've talked, um, I, I just can't begin to imagine the shock and the devastation and emotional wreckage that you and Madison have experienced. The only reason I didn't put Joel in there is because he's so little, but he's going to have to deal with some things as he grows up. And Megan, as I talk to you, you use phrases like this. He's taught me to keep doing what he asked me to do, even when, and especially when it doesn't make sense or it feels absurd. I've learned that he doesn't care about my comfort as much as he cares about a relationship with me. I needed very much to be in control, yet he literally took control away from me, but I trust him. And so my question, because I want to learn from this, this too, how can you say those things? I mean, this, these past two years have been terrible. How do you say those things? They've been terrible, but they've also been awesome because every terrible thing lays an empty framework for him to create wonderful things. Um, he showed himself time and again over those two years in, in little ways, in huge ways. Uh, last fall, Madison was getting ready to start her second year of preschool here. She was going to five-day preschool, and at the time, I had, uh, the way that this car situation had worked out, I had the truck. Um, And we lived in Rochester at the time, so it was a drive back and forth, and finances were tight, and I didn't know how that was going to work. So the week before Madison started school, we owned the truck, um, so I took the title into our dealership and said, here, this is, I need whatever the smallest car is that is, still going to fit us and be comfortable. Um, And the salesman brought out a car that was five years newer and had half as many miles as the truck and assured me that it was title for title. And it was totally God's faithfulness at work. It was not, it was so much more than I had even prayed for. And that's just one. He knew what you needed in the moment and he provided it. And, And so Last question, just because this is a, a great story of the, the body of Christ, being the body of Christ and ministering to you. And, and also going back to this, be still, because I will fight for you. Just the meals that were provided to your family as you walk through this. Um, once Joe was born and bringing him home from the hospital was really hard. Um, between our Bible study, between mom's group, between friends, our meals went on for three months, which... If anyone has received meals, that's pretty extreme. Um, But, and Mike and I were talking, receiving meals you don't understand until it's happened. You're trying to put one foot in front of the other, and reheating is sometimes, sometimes huge. But it was, it was his, just sit there, just, just be still, I've got you. Yeah. I just go back to that, that phrase, be still, I'll fight for you. Maybe like a modern paraphrase, like be still. 
I've got it. And your plans have not worked out the way you thought, and that didn't mean what you thought it meant when it hung above your bed. But he's faithful to his word. And so I just, thanks for talking to us for a couple minutes about what that means. This is Anna Davis, and her family's on the screen as well. That's Robert, her husband, and in the back is Odin, and, uh, and Noah is on your lap. So could you tell us about your family? Yes. Um, Robert and I started our family early and fresh out of college. We have two boys, Odin and Noah. Um, Odin, our oldest, is pleasant. He's joyful, caring, and compassionate. Um, we thought... We've cut this down, baby. (laughs) We are awesome parents. Two years later. Seriously, I said that exact thing. And when I say that, it's like God is like, cue the fits. Cue that right now. Yeah, Yeah. I've I've done it. I've done it. So two years later, we welcome Noah. Um, We were ecstatic. Um, But as we observed Noah, we started seeing something was different about him, and we couldn't pinpoint what it was. Um, Though he was growing in size, he was not developing as a normal little boy would. So we immediately got help. And um, from then on, our lives changed, and we, our eyes were open to a world we knew nothing about, and that's autism. So tell me a little bit more about that world. Like, tell me about Noah, or, or what it's like to be his mom. Noah's a handsome very energetic little boy. <laughs> he loves to be chased and tickled. Um, he has severe autism with sensory processing disorder. Um, everything that we do on our daily lives, it requires our senses to make sense of this world around us. And Noah can't do that. He has, he's not capable of getting all this information. And when, it do, and when that does happen, he becomes overwhelmed and he has severe meltdowns and does not sleep. So that means we don't sleep either. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we talked about this, right? I mean, you're always on. You're, you're always giving care. There's not a break unless somebody from the, the body of Christ comes and gives you respite, which we'll talk about in just a minute. There's days where you don't sleep in a no. row. No. Because he doesn't. And it's heartbreaking as a mom because you see your baby suffer and he's trapped in, in his brain and he's not able to let you know what what bothers him is it's a nightmare for him for all of us and and so I know there are days where it's hard to get out of bed literally and figuratively Mm -hmm. um, to put one foot in front of the other we keep coming back to and I know there's several verses for you that the Lord has put in your life to help you through those difficult times there's one in Jeremiah we talked the other day so this is a life verse for you And, and and it's similar to Megan like the Lord gave this to you almost in preparation, and they're not the plans you chose, Mm -hmm. but he unveiled it. And so it's Jeremiah 29, 11 that says, for I know the plans I have for you, declared the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And so can you just tell us briefly how that's played out in your life, even in preparing you for Noah? Well, back in high school, I was given the opportunity to uh, work with special needs students, even though they were 21, 22 years old, and I was 18. Um, my job was just to help them exercise and be healthy, and I thought, this is an easy A. I'm going to take it. Little did I know that God was preparing me for the future. Yeah. I didn't know that. And Anna's gone on to actually develop and pioneer the Faith Buddy ministry at our church where kids with special needs can come downstairs and be a kid. 
and have a one-on-one aid so they can be part of the services and, and Sunday school classes. So God was even preparing you for that. And I know another verse that you go back to quite a bit, and Jeff talks about this verse a lot, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. And, and on a, I've got to imagine there's days like where you think, God, this isn't a straight path. I, I need help here. And God's brought that help through the body of Christ for you. You've seen him be faithful to that word. And so can you just tell us what that's meant to you? Yeah, when I'm sleep deprived, I am exhausted. I'm angry. Um, that's when the evil one seeps in and puts, seat, it puts seeds of doubt in you. And um, that's why I have these verses handy because I need to get my focus back in Christ. And also, like you said, the body of Christ has been incredible. I've, I've got an amazing church family. We don't have support here, family support in Springfield. So I've got a fantastic family here that help me. They mentor me. They pray over me. And again, I, I am so thankful for Faith Buddies. Otherwise, I wouldn't attend church at all. I'm just so grateful that you're willing to share and admit that it's hard. You're like a living Daniel 8. You're not home yet, but you have confidence that God is true to his word. And so... I'm blown away by your story. And Mike Flat, is a, a friend of mine. I've known Mike for a number of years. We actually went to high school together. Um, <clears throat> this is Mike's family. This is Mike and his wife, Jen. And in the back is Mason and uh, Ian. And then the little man in front is Owen. And um, Mike, tell me or tell us about May 6th of this year. So um, <clears throat> on May 6th, I was at a, a ball game with my uh, with my son, Ian, was in a game. I had other two with, and I got a phone call and was told I needed to come home and, and meet with Jen and our family doctor, and she was diagnosed with a nine centimeter by four centimeter brain lesion on her right frontal lobe. So that's a pretty big tumor, if you know anything about uh, how brain tumors at work. And I just remember we were, we were devastated. I remember when our doctor left, I was in the kitchen with her. I basically hit my knees, crying, holding onto her legs. So it was, it was hard, <clears throat> hard to hear that. Everything you plan has now changed dramatically like that. Yeah. So things moved really quick from there. Um, we felt strongly that we were led to the, uh, the doctors in Evanston, Illinois. And on May 20th, she had um, surgery to have most of the tumor removed. Um, that was a seven-hour surgery. Um, I spent another three hours waiting for her to recover and, and come into the ICU room. And um, she's just finishing up 28 days of chemotherapy and radiation that'll end next thursday she gets a little bit of a break and then she follows up with six months of cycled chemotherapy and we get a new baseline scan on august 24th that'll measure against going forward so that was 2015 i want to actually go back two years to 2013 and you've been really honest and i'm so grateful for that that you struggle with anxiety Two years ago, that led you into a season of depression. And during that time, I'm sure there are days where you didn't want to get out of bed, you didn't want to pray, you didn't want to read your Bible. But on the days that you did, you went to God's Word. And God revealed a scripture to you in Psalm 56, 4 that says, In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And so on May 6th, when you got that phone call and you're standing in your kitchen and you hear the words cancer. I'm sure, you know, you said, everything's okay and I've got full confidence because God gave me Psalm 56.4 two years ago and we're, everything's great. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't quite the training that I needed, I don't think. But um, 
you know, when I was going through that, Jen prayed for me. She was there for me. When God was distant, she, she was the mediator for me, okay? And that, that was important. And I kept going back to Scripture, and that Scripture found me actually later. But um, you kind of seek truth there, and you, and you need to change your thinking, and that's what I used to do that with. Um, I wasn't prepared. It was too much, too soon. I wasn't strong enough. I told a few of my friends that I, I can't, I don't think I can do this. I don't know how this is going to work out, and, and I, I just can't handle it. But, um, you know, each morning we'd catch our breath. Uh, Jen and I would sit down, we would read scripture together, and we would share that with each other, and, and that's how we got through the day. That's yeah. how we still get through the day sometimes. Tell me about Psalm 118.8, because now as a couple, as you guys do that, and what a beautiful picture of waking up in the morning and reading scripture and sharing scripture with each other. Tell me about Psalm 118.8 and what that means to you. Tell us the verse itself and then what it, what it means. Okay. Um, Psalms 118.8 was actually given to me by a friend during the middle of this, and it's become very important to us since her surgery. Um, what, the, what the verse is, is it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And um, basically, I told you I was in this ICU room, dark alone, waiting for an hour and a half to come out. I didn't know if Jennifer was still going to be Jennifer when she came out. Her mom had gone through uh, brain surgery, had two tumors removed, and we've seen the impairments that can happen when you go through this. And she was wheeled into the room, and she gave me a little wave, and she pointed at her left forearm where she had written, Trust God, on her arm. And she had did that just prior to me walking out of the room that morning before the surgery. And I was trying to hold it together, so I didn't think a whole lot of it um, at the time. But that was a real God moment, a comfort for me. Uh, made me believe, hey, we can get through this. We don't know what it looks like still, but we're, we're going to handle this. And she didn't tell me until several weeks afterwards, but she had dreamt for three days in a row she was supposed to write this on her arm. She doesn't remember doing it. She doesn't remember pointing at it, doesn't remember waving at me, but it's, it's certainly something that I won't ever forget. So. And so, right, I mean, sometimes we ask that question, like, God, do you still give dreams? Do you still give visions? Yeah, absolutely, he does. It always aligns with Scripture. And in this case, he took you to Psalm 118. It's better to trust in the Lord than man. And he even took you back to Psalm 56, 4, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust. Absolutely. Trust God. And so this, this is just an example of Daniel 8 living. This is why we're given Daniel 8, because we're not home yet. Our road is going to be lined with difficulties and trials and sometimes suffering. But we can take confidence and find hope that God is faithful to his word, even when it doesn't look like what we thought it was going to look like. And so I'm just grateful for y'all being willing to share. Could I pray over you before, uh, before we close? Well, God, um, thanks for these friends. Thanks that they're willing to share their Daniel 8 experience. God, I, I, I want to pray bold prayers, and everything human in me wants to pray that this stuff would be fixed. We know that Jesus prayed in the garden to remove this cup if it was your will. So we'll pray, Father, that if, if it is your will, God, would, would you help Megan's family be restored to beauty from the brokenness and the ashes and that she would prosper and that her family will lean into you and that you have an unbelievable future for them that they can't possibly ask or imagine right now. God, we pray for, for Anna, and, and God, I believe this is possible because you can do anything, and we pray that you would. I know Anna prays this every 
day, would you heal Noah? Would you help him escape from this prison of autism so that he could be a little boy that communicates? God, I pray for their family, protect their family, bring peace to their family. And God, I I wanna pray for Mike and Jen that when she goes in in August, the scan is clean and they got it all. Through surgery and chemo and radiation, it's gone and it doesn't come back. God, we pray those bold prayers, but in the midst of this, as they're walking through it, would you increase their faith? Would you help them know they're not home yet, but they can have confidence in your word and on those days when they utter phrases like, how long, how much more, this stinks, I don't want to do it anymore. Could they find confidence in you that you're faithful to your word? God, thanks for my friends. Thanks that they're willing to share with us. It's in Jesus' name I ask those things. Amen. Would you just thank them for being being up here? Thank you so much. I'm so, so proud of them. And I just want to share with you, too, I mean, my, my life has not looked like I thought it was going to go. Um, after my wife had uh, her first miscarriage, God gave her a promise. It's found in Psalm 128, 3 and 4. It says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. We even have a picture of olive trees in our kitchen to remind us of that promise. And so we've gone on to lose a daughter at 20 weeks of pregnancy. She would have been eight years old yesterday. We've gone on to lose twin girls that were born at 30 weeks. One was born still and the other lived for two hours. And I look at my two healthy boys and my four children in heaven and I sometimes wonder, God, did you really keep your word there? Really, God? I got more children dead than alive. My children will really be like olive shoots around my table? And then one day, about two years after we lost our girls, I I journaled this, and and please hear me say it, it it didn't happen quick. It took a long time to get here. But I journaled this. I, I was thinking, God, really? Olive shoots around my table. And I wrote these words. God kept his promise in Psalm 128. I just had the wrong table. I had the wrong table. He's good, and he's faithful, and he keeps his word. And listen, if the end result of parenting is that we want our kids to be with Christ at the end of their life, my girls are there. And they're around his table. I still wish it was mine. I still ask why. And I don't understand it. But he kept his promise. He's faithful to his word. 
And so for every single person here this morning, young and old, male and female, follower of Jesus or not a follower of Jesus, whether you're here and you're discouraged, you're confused, you're in such a big mess, you don't know how you're going to get out of it, whether you feel guilty and there's nothing you could do to make God ever want you again, whether you feel weak or inadequate or whether you feel great and life is smooth sailing, wherever you find yourself, please listen. Our one and only hope in this life is this, that the Jesus who was crucified and raised again is coming back. He will return. We don't know when, but this is the promise to you, and it's the promise to me, to his followers who go through this Daniel 8 life. We're not home yet. But one day we'll see him. And when we see him, we will receive authority and glory and sovereign power. And on that day, thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 will gather around his table, his throne, and we will worship him. Friends, we know how the story ends. Prophecy tells us. If you're following in your notes, the last line, here's how it ends. God wins. The final word will not be given by a ram or a goat. It will be given by a lamb. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And it's the only hope we have in this life. And we can have hope and confidence in that because he's always been faithful to his word. And he always will be faithful to his word. So the last line on your note says homework. And so what I would encourage you to do this week, maybe on the back of your notes, review, maybe it's your life, maybe it's the past year, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your parenting, maybe it's the last week. Write down where you've seen God be faithful. Where have you seen him be faithful? He has been. And if you've got nothing, then just write the cross. (laughs) But chart where he's been faithful and get in his word open his word and write down different scriptures that stand out because when things stand out to us, I believe it's God speaking to us. And I love it. I had lunch with Chuck this week. We talked about journaling. Not everybody likes to journal, but I love this. And and Chuck said, a guy told him, he said, if you knew you had a meeting with the God of the universe and he was going to tell you something, wouldn't you want to write it down? Write it down. Journal. Write down his faithfulness and scripture. And then look to how he's been faithful. So I'm going to invite the prayer team up. We're we're here to pray for you or celebrate with you if this is the day you've given your life to Christ and put your hope in him. But let's stand and read this together as we leave. I read this this morning. I'm working through the Psalms. I'm on Psalm 77. And God put this in front of me this morning. I think this is for us as we leave here. Let's read it full voice, church. It says, But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. Church family, go this week. No, you're not home yet, but you can have hope and confidence because he's faithful to his word. You can bank on it. You're dismissed.